Hey everyone, it's Jeannie, the Pistol Pack and Mountain Mama Health Nut. Welcome to Throw Out the Trash. I'm so glad you're here. And I hope this episode will take your mind off of whatever you're facing today. I hope you find it helpful, and most of all, I hope it makes you smile. And I hope the sun is shining at your house because it isn't mine. And that's always a great day. Okay, my podcast is sponsored by a company called 3 International. And it's a proactive wellness company that has six different high-quality nutritional supplements that come from Whole Foods. And I personally use these products, and I will tell you that after health problems of my own, I now have more energy and the brain fog finally lifted, and I highly recommend them. And one of the products that I love is called Revive, and it's for renewal and recovery. So it supports healthy joints, eases muscle stiffness, maintains a healthy inflammatory status in the body, promotes exercise recovery, and counteracts the effects of free radicals. And I'm a runner, and I use this every time after I'm done running. And and the next day, I don't have any stiffness or any pain. And all of these products are listed in the physician's desk reference. And you can research that at www.pdr.net. And you can also go to my website, genieolson.iii.earth. Okay, today's episode, the good and the bad about the sweetener stevia. Now, my goal is to research different foods and products and pass this information on to you. I do all the work so you don't have to. All the articles I use are referenced in the show notes if you want to dig deeper into the topic. Okay, so I'm going to talk about stevia and Reb-A and give you a summary of what I found. And I've always been a fan of using stevia. In fact, in my previous episodes, I have stated that stevia is a good option to use for a sweetener. And although I still suggest stevia, I was shocked at what I actually found out. And I thought I was using pure stevia. And oftentimes I will see stevia with Reb-A, and I was curious about the Reb-A part, so I thought I'd do a little research. We know that stevia comes from a plant found in Paraguay and Brazil, and is considered safe to consume with little side effects. But where does Reb-A come from, and what is it? Reb-A stands for Rebaodioside A. It is a steviol glycoside from the leaves of stevia Rebaudiana. That's hard to say. It's 240 times sweeter than sugar. Stevia leaves have nine components called steviolglycosides, and two of the most common ones are steviocide and Reb-A. Now, steviocide has a more bitter taste, where Reb-A has more of a pleasant aftertaste. And so seeing Reb-A on packages is not a bad thing like I initially thought. Stevia, in general, has been used safely for years with no side effects, and it was first introduced as a whole stevia leaves in 1970, but no one heard much about it. Interestingly, the FDA, and you probably know by now that the FDA is not my favorite, says stevia is dangerous and poses a danger to blood sugar and reproductive, cardiovascular, and renal systems. And in 2007, they told this to a small company called Hain, which is a natural food maker. However, the FDA doesn't have studies to back up their claims, so why were they saying this? Well, it all came down to money. Because if stevia was to become a favorite on the market, it would cause problems for the sugar and aspartame markets. And if you haven't listened to my episodes about the dangers of sugar and aspartame, I encourage you to listen to those. 
But what is interesting is that later in 2009, then the FDA approved stevia in zero-calorie soft drinks made from Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Now why the change? Because Coke and Pepsi are giant companies and they pay the FDA to keep their place in the market. So the FDA will do what they can to stop smaller companies. Unbelievable, but I'm not surprised. Another interesting fact that I found was the company NutraSweet. You know, the company that branded aspartame with the name NutraSweet? Well, they came out with a sweetener they call NutraSweet M. And it contains one of the nine components of this stevia plant called Reb-M. They claim it tastes more like sugar and is less bitter. They also say that it has less foaming during the processing phase, which results in faster bottling speeds. It's always about what is fast and less expensive to make, so they can sell it faster and for more money. Never mind what happens to it when they make it, right? So now let's fast forward to 2023. The FDA considers stevia leaf extract safe for consumption and is unlikely to cause any side effects. You know, and many studies have been done now that say it is safe. Well, why wouldn't it be? It comes from a plant, right? One problem is that this amazing plant has been used for thousands of years, but it's not produced much in Paraguay and Brazil, but it is mass-produced in China. The only way it would not be safe is how the plant is used and processed and if any fillers are added to it when it's put in products. Okay, so for example, stevia that is purchased in the grocery stores are often highly processed with methyl alcohol, bleach, and other toxic chemicals. And some brand names you might see is Truvia, Purevia, Stevia in the Raw, Sweet Leaf. Dang, I have that one in my house. The stevia you buy in stores is a white powder, when in fact, when the leaves are first dried, crushed, and extracted in hot water, the solution is a dark green color and it has a strong aftertaste like licorice. Why would the stevia you purchase in stores be a white powder? Well, here's the process companies use to extract Reb-A from the stevia plant. Okay, so after it's dried, crushed, and extracted, it's treated with ferric chloride and calcium oxide. It's then washed with ethanol and then goes through a decoloration process with activated carbon, and then you finally get the Reb-A. It kind of sounds like a few chemicals in there, doesn't it? And you find ethanol and gasoline. The safest option if you want to use pure stevia is to grow your own, and who has time for that? Or you can order a pound of powder called Green Stevia Herb from a company called Frontier Co-op on Amazon. And I actually ordered some and I'm going to try it. You can also go to their website, FrontierCoop.com. And by the way, I'm not getting anything by telling you about this company. I just want to help you find better, high-quality products. And the last option is not to use any sweetener at all. And I haven't tried this, but experts say that after a while, your taste buds change, and you begin to taste the food for its natural flavor. We're conditioned as a society to eat sweet things. We think we need to have sweets, and I actually feel that way. As with any food or product you eat, you may experience a side effect such as gastrointestinal symptoms, or you may not. If you feel that stevia may be making you feel unwell, then go off of it for a while and then try eating it again. That is the best test. Okay, so I hope you found this helpful. I know it was an eye-opener for me, that's for sure. Leave me a comment below or email me, and I'd love to know how stevia has affected you. Okay, what happens in the Rocky Mountains of East Idaho? when your only supply of water freezes in the middle of the winter? 
Keep listening as I share our struggles in Mountain Adventures. It's not easy living completely off-grid in the Rocky Mountains of East Idaho. What has seen us through some difficult times is keeping our eyes and hearts on Jesus. We call on Him daily for strength, protection, and yes, patience, and He has never failed us yet. Even during a really difficult time for us when our water supply froze. When my husband Nick and I and two of our kids moved to our ranch, we didn't have any power. No power lines for miles, and we didn't have any water for the house. We could have dug a well and then pumped the water to the surface, but instead we decided to draw the water from a natural underground spring. And it's the best tasting water ever. But we only had one problem. The spring was two miles away, so we had to figure out a way to get it to our house. I didn't even worry, you know, how that was going to happen. Nick always has a way of figuring things out for us. He's just good at it. So he came up with a plan. And it involved me and our son, Ryan. The plan was to find the head of the spring and then run a a one-inch hose under the ground to the house. Ryan and Nick had figured, using a GPS, that there was enough fall that the water, because of gravity, would flow to the house. No pump needed. To get to this spring, we had to drive on a two-track road that winds through Douglas fir trees, aspen trees, sarvis berry trees, and lots of other plants and bushes basically the forest. We knew where the underground spring was, kind of. In early springtime, some of the water will come up to the surface, but that year there wasn't any water to be found. We walked up and down through the trees trying to find some water, any water. The initial idea was to use the tractor that had a bucket on it and dig down to find the water, and that was the problem. We couldn't find any. I suggested using a shovel to dig down just a little ways in hope of finding something. Of course, to the two guys, this was absurd and would never work, but guess what? Eventually, after looking and looking, they decided to try my idea, and lo and behold, we found water. Who says I can't have a good idea once in a while? And of course, I remind Nick of this often. (laughs) He just laughs. Good thing he's a good sport. By digging every few feet or so, we finally found the head of the spring, and then digging commenced with a small tractor that had a backhoe on the back of it. With the help of Nick's brother, Dean, perforated and filtration pipe were carefully placed starting at the beginning of the spring, and from these pipes the water went into a smaller one-inch plastic pipe. Nick welded a hook onto an old plow shank so we could attach the one-inch pipe to it, and this was hooked to the tractor, and then the pipe was shanked under the ground for two miles, and it was slow going because trees and tree roots boulders and rocks were in the way. Some of the rocks were so big under the ground that they just went over the top of them. We just wanted the pipe under the dirt so animals and frost wouldn't damage the pipe, and the dirt acted as insulation. And this was our drinking water after all, and I was going to shower in it, so I didn't really want a cow, deer, elk, or a moose pooping in my water. It took over a week to get this project done, And after it was completed, it was pretty cool to turn on my faucet in the kitchen and see running water. And there was so much pressure that we had to put in several pressure reducers to slow the water down. Remember how I mentioned that we had to go over the top of the rocks in a few places? Well, when we did this, it only left about six inches of dirt covering the pipe. And this caused problems that we didn't foresee. 
It was January in the winter of 2007, and we didn't have a lot of snow, maybe one to one and a half feet, and usually we have a lot more. But we did have extremely cold temperatures, around 20 degrees below zero. We had these frigid temperatures for over three weeks, and eventually the frost worked its way down into the pipe and froze the water where Nick had placed it over the rocks, and we had no clue what was happening. And at the same time our water was freezing, I had had foot surgery, and I was on crutches and slightly drugged with pain medication. Looking back, I think that might have been a good thing. I had to take the bandages off every day and shower and clean the incisions well before putting on the new bandages. Well, one morning we woke up to no water. Nick concluded that it was frozen. We would have to find the place where it was frozen. And remember, this water line is two miles long. We borrowed a backhoe from a friend, and Nick spent four to five weeks digging, trying to find the frozen section. And he would dig on one end in certain spots until he found the frozen section. And he had running water to this spot, but couldn't get the water past it. And then he would dig from the other end until finally he just couldn't dig anymore. There was just too much frost, and it was hard digging through all of the frozen dirt. Now during this time, Nick and I and two of our kids, Jason and Katie, would drive every night 20 miles to our niece and nephew Guy and Cherie's house to shower. And they had a bathtub with old people handles in it, <laughs> so I could get in and out of the tub without getting my foot wet. And I felt like an old person with my foot. And then we would haul water back home in containers so we had water to drink, cook with, and to wash dishes. And we did this every night after Nick came inside from working on the water problem. And we are forever grateful to Guy and Cherie for opening up their home to us. Since the frost prevented Nick from digging any further, we had a plan B. When we usually have a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D. But anyway, this plan was buying two water heaters and placing them near the place where he had running water up to the frozen section. And then he placed a 250-gallon propane tank next to the water heaters and covered everything with a tarp so the pilot light wouldn't go out. He then ran the water, which was almost 32 degrees, which is freezing, through the water heaters, and then it would heat up the water to about 60 degrees. And then this heated water flowed through a new pipe he placed on top of the ground for 2,300 feet. And by the time the water had got back to the place where he had running water again, it had cooled down but wasn't, wasn't 32 degrees but close. Now Nick would run the water heaters long enough to fill a 1,200-gallon holding tank. And this tank was set up to send water up the hill to water the cows or to the house, whichever was needed. And that winter, the cows had to go to the creek every day to get a drink instead of drinking out of the water trough. Once the tank was full, he would shut the water heaters off and drain the hose so it wouldn't freeze. We would then use the water in the holding tank until we ran out of water, and then the whole process would start all over again with the water heaters, and we had to do this for the rest of the winter. Luckily, we had an early spring, and the ground warmed up, and the pipes eventually unthawed. I didn't realize how much I had depended on our water supply until it was taken from us. And then later that summer, Nick took the back hole and dug a six-foot trench to bury the hose that he had placed on top of the ground. And we didn't have any more problems with the water for a long time. But 12 years later, we did. And stay tuned, because in the next episode, I'll tell the story of what happened this time. Okay, make sure to check out my website, throwoutthetrash.podbean.com, 
and you can email me at lifetop7 at gmail.com. And hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And leave a comment below. I'd love to hear from you. And remember this. When you've done everything you can do, that's when God will step in and do what you can't. He loves you. Go get your dreams. See you next time.